Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast and lads I am worn out today after the visit of Shamrock Rovers to our fine capital city. Now let's start this off on the right foot right I want to talk to the hissing and Irish right down in Gothenburg. Congratulations lads I saw you out there with your tricolour last week as your local club Hecken won the Swedish championship they won the Allsvenskan last time for the very first time and flying high among the fans there was the flag of Ireland there despite the fact there's no Irish players yet but uh, congratulations to all the Hecken Irish now so don't come at me now lads complaining that I talked about football and I didn't mention it because you are in there at the top of the show no messing around but of course uh, for those of us in the capital city this week was all about the visit of Shamrock Rovers to town and it was chaos because you know being somebody who is shall we say a bit visible in social media and knowing a good few Shamrock Rovers players uh, players and staff and people in the club and fans and the brilliant supporters they brought over like 450 people and they're all mad and they're all lovely and it actually turned out I walked into Grana Yegan the Green Hunter pub yesterday in uh, in Souther and uh, I was meeting Graham Merrigan, who you'll hear from in a little while about his experience of coming to Stockholm as a wheelchair user. And um, Graham was introducing me to the people at the table. And we weren't doing the Swedish thing, right, where I stick out my hand and tell everybody my first name, right, because these are Dublin people like me. So you just go, oh, hey, yeah, how are you? And Graham says, yeah, this is Phil O'Connor. Oh, I was just talking to somebody who knew you. I was going, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'm related to them. I never do that. And I only met him here. And it was a fellow from Irish town called Paul Sullivan. And many of you will know Paul as a great footballer. I think he played for Shelbourne actually in the League of Ireland back in the day. But has been here in Sweden almost as long as myself. And it's amazing what a small world it can be and how football can bring us all together. So um, this is one of those episodes, as you may have gathered, where we're going to talk a little bit about sport. But a lot of it is going to be through the eyes of Graham because I spoke to Graham a little bit uh, about his experience of coming to Sweden. Now, Graham's somebody who's a fanatical rover Supporter and who travels all over the country himself and another chap called Danny Murray have a great Irish podcast called What's the Story? You couldn't get a more Irish podcast named than that but it's brilliant and it's just the two lads talking to people and I have a, a habit of like you know I've known them for years but I have a habit of going back and just listening to an episode like some random episode you know with some guests that I haven't heard before but they've loads of fascinating people on there Paul Howard who writes the Russell Carroll Kelly books does a Christmas episode with them every year so it's well worth listening to but in any case, they brought over all these people and I think the wonderful Marjorie Sundstrom down at Marriott Hotel was looking after Shamrock Rovers and their players and uh, some of them visited, uh, some of the fans certainly visited Veerstrom's and a couple of the Irish bars around town and that. And they had a wonderful time. Now, the game didn't work out for them. They lost uh, 1-0. It looked really, really good though. I remember seeing Rovers playing 20 years ago at the old Rosunda Stadium, which is the site on which Sophie Murphy lives now, right? Because they tore down the stadium and they built apartments on it. I, you know, I won't go into how I feel about that. It was the place where the 1958 World Cup was played. But Sophie's living there and she's very happy. But um, the Rovers came back now and they looked an awful lot better. Back then there was a huge sort of gulf in class between the two teams. So I'm going to give you a couple of clips of audio here, right? The first is a clip of uh, the goal in the game. And then afterwards I spoke to Marcus Donaldson, former Sweden international, played at the Euros for them last year. And then I spoke to Richie Tell, who plays for Shamrock Rovers, and uh, just asked him. So I just wanted to get like one, like one voice from each side. And then we'll hear from Graham Merrow Merrigan. But this is what it sounded like on Viasat Sport or Viasat Football or whatever channel it was last night. Uh, Henrik Strömblad, a good friend of mine there, is the commentator. And Glenn Strömblad, 
Strumberg is his uh, expert commentator. Glenn played for many years in Italy, absolutely brilliant midfielder himself. And I was talking to him before the game, and they were really looking forward to seeing Rovers. And when I spoke to him after the game, they were actually very impressed. But here's how it sounded, and we'll go straight from there into talking to Marcus Donaldson, the Swedish centre back player for Jugorden, who played a lot in China. And I was winding him up a little bit about that in case you wondered what that was about. And then Richie Tell, and sure, they'll be back to you again before we talk to Graham. Uh, Marcus playing against Shamrock Rovers here at the Tele2 Arena. Was that did that game turn out uh, how you expected? Uh, yes, we uh, we had the ball a lot in the game and we dictated the, the game. So um, Shamrock is a is a good team, but. Today we were the better team and we, yeah, we performed well, I think. What did you expect going into this game? Because you know you played against Shamrock Rovers twice now, but they're not the kind of team that you'd know a lot about. Did you expect them to be a sort of a typical Irish team or did you know that they tried to play football a little bit? Yeah, we watched some uh, uh, some clips on the, uh, the games before, so we, we know they want to play on the ground and now today it was a little bit better pitch than when we played on Ireland so uh, but yeah it's a good team but uh, yeah they're, they're a good team you topped the group on 16 points they managed to get two points and the whole thing what do they have to do to close the gap to the bigger teams in Europe or to teams like you Gordon you mean Shamrock or? yeah oh <laughs> I don't know uh, put, put your coach's hat on now uh, <laughs> I don't really know they I think they like you said they, they want to play good football and not just kick the ball and, uh, and work from there so they I think they uh, just keep practicing on that and they will yeah, they will be even better I think so but I also heard like uh, all of the players were not even professional players like two or three years ago so uh, but it's it's really nice to play against a team from Ireland. They they fight uh, from minute one to, to the last minute. So that uh, that's the thing that they need to keep. As a centre back, would you prefer them to just kick the ball long at you the whole time because you could head the ball away all day? <laughs> yeah, of course. For me, it's it's much easier if they just kick the ball and we can do some good pressing in the, up front. So for me, it's it's better, of course, because we we want to be in the, win the ball early. And just one last question, what are you, Gordon, looking forward to? Can you look forward to Christmas now, knowing that you're going to be in Europe afterwards? Yeah, it will be amazing to be uh, in the playoffs uh, in March, so we're really looking forward to that. And uh, now we have our last game in Allsvenskan on Sunday, and then we can have some, some good rest. And uh, yeah, so then we start the pre-season in January. And, uh, yeah. You're not planning to have your holidays in China, though, are yeah? No, and I don't want to be in quarantine again. <laughs> You've seen enough of that. Thank you very much for talking. Thank you. What was it like coming to Sweden to play against a big club like you, Ronald? Yeah, it was brilliant. We loved it. Um, it's something that we've wanted for for 
a number of years at, at Shamrock Rovers. We want to play in these big games we do. Um, and I think coming over here, especially in front of their fans, their fans are brilliant tonight. Um, so to play in front of them for us is, is amazing, it is, and hopefully we can continue to do that. Yeah. The pitch here, of course, is famous for not being very kind. Yeah, it's, How did you find? Yeah, it's shocking. <laughs> it's Honestly, yeah, it's really poor. It is, um, was it the same up in Mulder? Do they have grass up there? Do no, they? they had AstroTurf as well, but it was a better Astro than. No, no, was it yeah, Mulder, sorry, they had an AstroTurf as well, but yeah. it, was, it was a better AstroTurf than this. This was hard on the body tonight. I'm sure we'll have a few sore ones tomorrow. Like. About 20 years ago, Rovers were here, they played against Uber in Raw Sunda, and it was a grass pitch. And I okay. think there was a big difference between Swedish football then and Irish football. Then. Yeah. Do you feel you're a lot closer to them now when you're playing against them? Yeah, listen, I think he's probably seeing both games. We, Although the points difference is massive in the group, listen, we're not going to call a spade a spade. The points difference is massive. But in both games, I think we could have beat them at your place. And I think obviously they beat us today and they had a few chances. But I thought we played really well and had a few chances of our own. What do you have to do better to get more points, to get better yeah, results? Yeah, do you know what we need to do? We need to do the same as what we've done tonight because uh, our previous away performances haven't been great and then our home performances have been really good so if we can take the, this away performance going forward in, in future games then we'll do really well Well you've given us a good night for travelling Shamrock Rovers supporters and even for the Irish living yeah. here thanks very much no and hopefully we'll see you next year Cheers Bye-bye. Richie, thank you There you go, that was Richie Tell there post-game Shamrock Rovers midfielder running for the bus uh, now, look at I would be about to be telling tales out of schools, but there was rumours that they were going to hit the town last night. I don't think they did. I think they just went back to Marjorie Sundstrom in the Marriott Hotel there, and they might have had a drink and went to bed and that kind of thing. But um, now, uh, one of the people who did travel over to watch Shamrock Rovers and who was singing his heart out for the 90 minutes last night was my good friend, Graham Merrow Merrigan. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Graham is a wheelchair user and has been all his life. So... I sort of had this idea that we were going to do a sort of a podcast based on the sort of WhatsApp notes that we swapped uh, while Graham was travelling over here. So we did a little bit of a diary thing. And to be honest, didn't really work, right? It was a great idea. I felt it was a fantastic idea. But it was too sort of choppy. You know, it'd be me saying something and then he'd answer an hour later. And there was no, there's no flow to the conversation, lads. And it don't be in your ears now when you're in the gym or when you're sitting in the car on the way to work or that kind of thing. And then it's just, you know, a whole bunch of WhatsApp messages. So you could be doing that with your ma, your da, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend or whoever, right? So when he got back, Back to Dublin, he was only in the door in Ballybrack in Dublin where he's from when I rang him up and said, right, before you, you unpack or ideas like that, let's sort of go through your experience over here. So uh, let's have a little chat with Graham Merrill Merrigan before we go on to the next interview, which will actually take us down to the hissing in Irish. So stay tuned. Graeme, you're just in the door from your trip to Stockholm. Tell tell me everything. How was it? Yeah, it was really good. Um, I mean, as I have said to you, like even before Stockholm over the years, you you know me years now. I've always said to you about even the times of going to Vegas and stuff. And the worry is always will your chair, the first worry of the day is will your chair show up at the other side? Or, you know and. Um, I travelled now, that's the second trip, so I went to Malde in Norway away with SAS and I went with them to Stockholm via Copenhagen uh, and just absolute breeze, like stress-free. Um, you know when you're seeking reassurances, they're kind of, their staff are looking at you as if to say, of course it's going to be okay, do you know what I mean? Mm. Whereas, although now the first lady in Dublin was nearly asking me what the process was, so that kind of, that that's not a good start because you're like, right, if she if she didn't know how to label the chair or make sure that the chair shows up at, at the door, 
um, what hope have I got? You know that way. <laughs> uh, sitting there. Like. So yeah, yeah. So you're 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 constantly the helpers that bring you on the OCS. Um, you're constantly saying to them uh, when you when you tra- when I transfer it over to my cease, you're constantly saying, "Listen, you're going to look after me chair now," and you're looking for the response. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it down under the plane now, hmm. and then you know, like at least it's gone. But I mean, I don't know how to. I don't know how that stops. You know what I mean? Unless planes become bigger and people with wheelchairs, people with disabilities are an actual fact allowed to bring their manual chairs um, onto the aircraft, you know? Well, it was one of the things I was thinking of because we met up in Stockholm yesterday, right? And one of the things that you were sort of a little bit amazed by was the fact that when we were waiting on the tunnel bonnet, the underground here, that there's marked doors and that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, here's space for the wheelchair. And I know that space is at a premium on airplanes and that kind of thing, but surely there's never, like, you never get, like, you know, unless you're traveling with the Irish wheelchair basketball team, which I know you've done, there's never like 15 wheelchair users getting on one plane. It's usually only one, maybe two people, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, the mo- the most outside of sports, the most I've seen was probably about two or three. Yeah. Um, but like that, they weren't manual chair users. They might have been just um, like um, older people that just needed assistance through the airport, as mm. opposed to wheelchair users. Yeah, so people with um, limited mobility rather than people who are depending on the chair. Exactly. 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 Like you were saying there about the the subway and, and the train, and the, I used the Irlanda as well. And hmm. um, like now, I haven't used the Dart in a while, but I think I'm right in saying that there's one carriage or two carriages devoted to wheelchair users. Hmm. But I mean, the Dart in certain train stations, um, the platform is is such a gap away from the actual train in in Stockholm. It was like a breeze. It was like like the Lewis in in, in Dublin is mm. brilliant. It's like completely accessible, and it's it's um, the platform is so close to the the entrance. You know that mm. it's just a smooth process. Mm. Um, but like, it was like that with Sweden with all the trains, and even I think I said it to you as well that like we were getting the subway, um, and I was like, oh no, like it's subway underground. I know the underground of London. It's not all wheelchair accessible. And um, so we'll just ask. And on the Aranda, on the Aranda train, there's like this information desk on the carriage mm. with two members of staff, which I thought was brilliant. And you go over and say, "Look, I just wonder if the subways which are accessible." And she honestly looked at me as if I ten heads. As if, as if say, "Of course it is." Like, and then I remember reading up the SL, and they have a guarantee with people with disabilities about getting the getting you to your journey, mm. getting you to your final destination. Mm. I mean, that's. That's huge commit, uh, commit, uh, commitment and huge kind of... I, I, I think I read years ago, and I can't find anything, but I remember years ago referencing it to you about, I think, the Swedish government at the time put pressure on all kind of public infrastructure mm. to be accessible. And when I was reading it there, uh, it might have been Wednesday evening, it was saying, like, oh, we, we adopted a guarantee that people with disabilities, you know... I think there's three stations in the subway that isn't accessible but it doesn't say that they won't help you like no exactly they'll always try to find a way to do it when you actually yeah. arrived in Stockholm you went to buy a few bits and pieces when yourself was it Carl was with you um, yeah, your, yeah, your friend from work yeah so the two yeah. of you went to buy something I think it was Press Bureau in one of these like 7-Eleven kind of stores can you tell me about that yeah yeah it was in the terminal so we said in the Radisson in Terminal 5 which was brilliant as well and, and the, the the room was just so spacious and the toilet. There was actually an adaption toilet 
mm. like a like an extension so you can add it to the toilet so it's a it's a easy transfer it's like when you put this adaption onto the toilet seat it's the same level as your chair which is and it had two handlebar two handrails on it mm. uh, the showered bench was fantastic like these things are amazing and they're easy to do mm. but when we came out um, looking for the hotel we found like a little news agent like you said like a 7-Eleven I don't think it was 7-Eleven but it was one of them mm. and um, I was just getting a bottle of coke and, and, a, and a towel on and I, I rocked up to the till and your man was like really smiling, smiling at me and I was like oh this is nice <laughs> this is how the Swedes uh, are or whatever and next minute he lowers the actual desk of the till like like it, it wasn't that it wasn't that high as a, in the first place, you know. It wasn't. Maybe I'm just not used to it. You know what I mean. So yeah. it, it, I didn't deem it a challenge as such. Mm. But he lowered the whole desk down to my height, mm. and I seen it again this morning, um, in in the airport leaving. I seen it again in a different type of shop. Mm. I was like, "What? This is unbelievable!" Like mm. just lowering the whole it, desk down. So no, never, never at all. Yeah. I mean, again. You- all these things can be done and it's all very easy, you know, and, 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 and that comment is in regards to uh, at home in Dublin, like, mm. you know, it's constant fighting and battle and firefighting and ringing ahead and, you know, even even the pub, the Rovers fans were based in the Green Hunter had a wheelchair toilet, you know, Yeah. and it's, again, it's in with the men's toilet, so how, how easy is that? Mm. I mean, even in the toilet in um, the airport, there was a wheel, one wheelchair toilet that was busy, and I went into the men's toilet because sometimes you might get a a, a cubicle hmm. that's uh, wheelchair accessible as well. So I went in, but I just went into the normal cubicle and it was, I could do 360 in it, so it was grand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't see how they can't do them in pubs, restaurants, everywhere in Ireland. Hmm. Like. Well, I think that's become part of it's the plan permission now. Uh, if you're going to open a bar or a restaurant, that it has to be accessible. Because like you say, okay, it's a little bit more space, but it's not that much more difficult. And it's not, you know, if you go to a workplace now in an office, most people will have a desk that goes up and down and that kind of thing. It's ergonomically. So having that in yeah. the shop is not the hardest thing in the world either. But when you come across these things in Scandinavia, Graham, you've spent your life in a, uh, using a wheelchair, right? Um, did that yeah. sort of lift your heart a little bit and go, fuck, these things are actually possible? Yeah, of course, of course. And that's why I tweeted, because there are senators and TDs that follow me on Twitter, mm. and I tweeted complimenting Stockholm's accessibility, and I actually called them out by saying, you know, politicians that follow me, please do better. And being polite, like, you know, mm. because they can do better. I mean, I know there's councils, there's there's, I know there's councillors that even have a budget to go to different councils across Europe to see how they do things. So what's stopping the councillor, say, from the nearly right down to 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 using his resources and going to Stockholm and saying, well, look, if they can do that here, mm. why can't we do it at home? Why can't we bring a bill in a senator? You know, like it it it, it does it, it like it, it warms the heart in as far as oh, for my time and for me being for the length of time that I'm here, I don't have to worry about anything. Mm. And then you realize you have to go home, and then it's Ireland again. It's the same. Now I'm, I'm I'm painting a bad picture of Ireland. I mean, it's it gets better, but there's still stuff that's so far behind it's just ridiculous. Like. Well, I think the thing is, uh, Graham, it is, the year's 2022 now, right? It's not like we haven't known about yeah. these things. And, you know, we have the internet. You can Google this, you know, accessibletoilets.com. You know, I don't know what will come up if you do that, but please don't do that. But, you know, the, yeah. these things are out there, you know. But if we zoom out a little bit, yeah. right, because you were very busy. You were being your standard social butterfly self. Yes, I could barely get hold of you. <laughs> um, in terms of the, the, the experience of just being a tourist, uh, I believe you went for the meatballs on the menu yesterday, did you? 
Yeah, I went for reindeer meatballs. My God, they were delicious. Do you not feel um, that? A few weeks well, before Christmas and you're eating reindeer meatballs. Cover the children's ears, Graham. That's what I did it for. That's what I did. I wanted to take food off before he goes off on his on his leg. So how, it, it, it's funny we're mentioning about accessibility. Uh, meatballs for the people, the restaurant wasn't accessible. You had to sit outside. <laughs> right. There he goes. So that's a minus for them. I go there and have a chat with them and see. But it was four. There was like three or four steps up. But I was convinced perhaps that there was a side entrance, but we just didn't ask about it. We just said we'd sit outside because we were kind of in a rush. Yeah. How was that sort of whole experience of Swedish food and the menu? Were you surprised by anything you saw on it? Um, I was surprised about the the variety of meats that were on offer, boar and bison and deer and reindeer and yeah, that was that was a uh, fairly ambitious. You know, when you're when you're used to the yeah, ones yeah. from IKEA up in Ballymore, and it's a it's a bit of a difference. All right, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge difference. Yeah, you spent but, a couple of hours yeah, there. No. Yeah. No, I was going to say the, the the club seemed to be there's this thing with Shamrock Rovers fans it goes back with Hammerby fans years because both clubs wear green and white and I think 20 years ago when Rovers were here the Hammerby fans and the Rovers fans got together and that kind of thing but you spent the afternoon yesterday in one of their pubs the Green Hunter Grana Jägeren in Swedish um, it's not always the easiest thing in the world when you go to a different country and you know 440 football supporters as it was in the case of Shamrock Rovers rock up but you found yourselves very well treated in that pub as well did you? Yeah I didn't see any problems yeah yeah and now I'm not the biggest of drinkers, to be honest. So, um, I mean, I don't know what the price of the drink was or anything like that. But I do believe they put on a meal and beer special yeah. at, at some stage, like a shamrock burger or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I didn't have any problems at all. It's the pub itself. There was a step up to the pub, but it's nothing to me. Yeah. Um, and the pub was very spacious and had a wheelchair toilet, which is which is gas in itself that had a wheelchair toilet. But there's a big step up to the the entrance. <laughs> But it's those but small little things, like you know. Eventually, they're get trying. There. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they're trying and they're getting there. Well, we we made our way from there because that was where we met then, and then we met the, down to the uh, to the underground again. No problems there. We got to the ground itself. What was the process of getting into the Telly Two Arena like? And what was the, the the seat or the space that you had for your chair? Was that okay for you as well? Was it? Ah, oh, it was fantastic. The the like the whole process of getting is unseamless. Um, there's like a. Like so, I've been to the three away group stages matches with Rovers, and there's always kind of like now where the guys Ross and Richie who uh, look after our tickets for the away games, they they done they they kind of do a recce visit on the day before the match, and they'll Richie will let me know or Ross will let me know and say yeah you're in with the away fans, which is great because again when you're travelling home and away in League of Ireland, um, it's a case of you know it's sometimes like it's a case of oh, just, just go where you where you want because there is no real designated areas and mm. um, so when you're going to Ghent uh, the the accessibility was brilliant you're in with the away fans right beside them mm. uh, right in with them sorry right in the middle of them uh, in Malde uh, it was like if, if we had brought more to Malde they would have been allocated down yeah. around my side, but they were allocated above me, mm. which, which was fine in itself. But uh, last night in the Teddy Two Arena, again, a team leader kind of from the stadium seeks me out, brings me to the accessible way. You, you go up the lift and you come out, and Jesus Christ, even actually there was a door out to, we had a, like a, it was like a wheelchair balcony, yeah. like a, an accessible balcony. But even the door, I was like, Jesus, the door is quite heavy here to open, but then my friend Arla realised that there was a big grey button. Mm. So it was an electric door. Yeah. And I noticed that actually in a couple of the shops that the doors were always electric. Yeah. 
and like they'd open out and you're kind of like this is fucking deadly um, but at the same again for Telly to Arena there was a, like a little green button or a big green button outside the door automatically opens you go out and then you're just on a balcony and you're right beside the Rovers fans which was just brilliant because that's what you want like mm. you know you want to be with your fans and the crack and the whole lot like yeah and what what is what an impressive arena I thought the only downfall of the arena that was an artificial grass but uh, the the arena is so impressive the noise and yeah. I mean your garden team was, was very loud on the on the night which yeah. is brilliant it was, but, it was about yeah, 10 minutes before kick off and I was looking at them I was going fucking where are all these people they told me they sold like 70,000 yeah. tickets and then about 10 minutes left everybody just streamed in and started singing and I could breathe a sigh of relief where were, where were they beforehand then? they were all uh, the probing so. at work and that kind of thing because like, the game kicked off at a quarter to seven you know so normally the games would be a little bit quarter later kick off, it a quarter to six. Uh, yeah it'd be a quarter to six in Ireland so a quarter to seven over here like you know so people you know they go home and you know they, they didn't really have the time to be there like it was a late evening kickoff or a weekend kickoff to be there maybe an hour or 45 minutes before but they literally you know pick up the kids feed them lash off to the game kind of thing so grab a quick point out of the way so they left it they're a bit like the Dublin GAA supporters they left it at the very last minute to get in but the atmosphere was yeah. amazing and they sang the whole match that was through. amazing was, yeah, but, uh, the, you guys were singing as well I, I could hear you guys uh, there singing up uh, the other end even though it was a fair distance from where I was sitting but you just had a good night up yeah, there we, all tried the same. Our, we tried our best there was 450 of us so and yeah, it was great. It was great atmosphere. I thought it was Rovers in terms of performance on the pitch. I thought it was their best performance, away performance in the groups. Yeah. And they created, thought Jack Bourne created a lot of chances. But I think the, I mean, I don't think any Rovers fans could be too critical of individual performances on our team when you're playing against a team of that standard. You know, who uh, who felt like I felt like they were in toward gear and they could just put it to fourth or fifth any time they wanted to. Yeah, they they brought the Edwardson off the bench and this kind of thing. Like they just they have resources yeah. that you know Rovers have come on so much in the last five, ten, even twenty years since the teams last met. Yeah. But there's still a gap, you know, there's still things that need to be done there. Yeah. I think the lads are aware of it. But they were much closer now than any League of Ireland team. I know Pats beat Ellsburg and uh, and Rovers beat uh, or no, was it Cork City beat uh, Hugh Gordon as well. So I mean it is possible, but the gap is definitely closing, yeah. you know. Um you yeah, well, I think I think yeah. because at home we drew with them nil all, I think right, we yeah. had this kind of expectation that maybe we could get something out of them away but I, I thought it was a really, really good performance though I thought again yeah Jack was setting he had plenty of corners plenty of set pieces and their defence and their goalkeeper was just commanding you know yeah, and good. that was just the standard Do you have much much contact with the team itself when you're away like you know you wouldn't have nipped back to their hotel for a point after a game or, or any of that kind of thing is it, is it a little bit closed off there or do you have you know because I know that the people in the club know who you are they all come up and say hello to you when they see you and that but would you know the players would the players know that you'd been there for instance uh, they'd know yeah a lot of the players would follow me on Twitter so they'd know I'd be there fucking celebrity um, man, but you <laughs> you wouldn't um, you wouldn't you wouldn't really have access to them. I mean, in Malde, because uh, the town was so small, mm. you know, we bumped into them uh, the morning of the match, just they were going out for a, a stretch or a morning walk or whatever, and mm. you'd stop and have a little chat. Um, but they're, they're literally, they literally leave straight after the match, you know, mm. they have their, their charter flight and they get out of there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that doesn't mean, like, Malde was just, I suppose, because the town was so small, and mm. um, I don't know where they stayed in Stockholm, to be honest. So, so what, there's there's not much access. I don't think there should be much access to the team though when you're playing in Europe like that. To be honest, no. Get on with the game. Like, the I know, I know the there was a few. There was a few people in the pub are kind of saying, "Oh, the last group stage. Would you think the players would want to meet us or something tonight?" You know, and yeah, yeah I don't think I, I wouldn't be bothered yes or no whether they did that. You know what I mean? Hmm. 
Um, yeah, but they have another league game. This last league game of the season is this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, it's away QCD at, uh, in in Belfield. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I was talking to Richie Tell after the game, and I think they were saying they might have a beer at the hotel or something, but they weren't going to go nuts. And then yeah. the big party will be when they get home. Like, so will you be celebrating? Yeah. I don't know. Rovers have won the league the odd time in Ireland. I'm not sure exactly how many times, but we will leave that where it is. Will you be going out celebrating with uh, the team now? It's, it's uh, 20 times no, you're, you're alright I'll, I'll have the, the fact checkers couldn't be that, that many it's only a small club 20 right? times <laughs> that they won the league and 25 times that they won the cup alright just to clarify that and will you be um, able to celebrate that is, 20th league victory with them do you think um, I don't I don't intend on to uh, I don't intend on it um, but however um, the the podcast you were on Tales from the East End Gary and Prof um, they put on uh, end of season awards night and the Bears will be there so uh, I just have to see if I can go to it, but I might go to it, um, and that'll be probably an opportunity for the for the fans to to mix in with the players. I'm not sure if all the players will be in attendance, but there's mm-hmm. certainly uh, a good few that have already been confirmed. Mm-hmm. So overall, if you look back years at ago season, now, they yeah. used to about ten years ago when Michael O'Neill was in charge, they and he used to always do Player of the Year awards um, in in hotels and function rooms and stuff like that. And sometimes the end of season they'll do an end of season lunch for members, yeah. and then. Uh, the, the trophy be there Stephen Bradley be there maybe one or two of the players but mm. they're finished now so let them have that break yeah let them do their thing well, overall Graham it's, yeah. how long have you been following Shamrock Rovers in this way I know you've been a Rovers fan all your life but like you know as somebody who yeah. uses a wheelchair and going to so many away games and go to European away games is this a relatively new thing for you is it something you've found new confidence in or is it something you've always done no I've, I've always done it domestically and um, this it's been and I've away from home outside of Ireland this has been my first uh, endeavour in doing that I would have I, I would and still do travel a lot for the Ireland away matches with my friend Ross and yeah. um, but I've been following like my first exposure to Rovers was I think it was 1992 or 1993 in the RDS and yeah. um, that would have been my first exposure kind of in and out then for a lot of my teen years yeah. uh, and then my best friend Padre O'Flynn came home from England and signed for Rovers, and then I've been back like full time uh, since then, which was I think it was about 2007. Mm. So since 2007 till now, I, I'm I'm quite uh, what's that word? Unrepentant, <laughs> relentless when it comes to supporting Rovers. Relentless. The road. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. it's just nothing like um, it's just nothing like live sports. You know, I can't like I I had to, I couldn't make the home match against Malde. Mm. And uh, I had to watch it on the telly, and you're kind of going, "Oh, this is just dreadful!" Like, oh, and it's it's not a dig at Irish people that support uh, English Premier League teams, um, because I've watched the English Premier League. Don't have any emotional attachment to a team. It, it wouldn't bother me at all now, win or lose. Mm. Um, but I just don't get how that is there. Um, how to get a buzz out like yeah that's yeah 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 like I couldn't watch that match or I wasn't I couldn't make that match mm. that night and I'm I'm watching it at home and I'm like jeez that's only up the road I could have could have made the second half at least you know what I mean <laughs> or like sometimes with the bath the wheelchair basketball season we train on a Monday night and sometimes throughout the season the games are Friday Monday mm. and my session would finish at eight and the match would kick off at eight and I'd literally drive up the road even from 20-25 minutes late just to make sure or just to make at least half the match do you know what I mean 
That's the thing. Well, Jordan... It's not like like football. It's even depressing me the thought of the season ending on Sunday. You know, it's because yeah. it's a long it's a long winter break in Ireland. It doesn't get back till February. Like yeah, that's the thing. Well, it's the same thing here. Now. The, the Swedish league finishes this week, but it's like it's, it's the same thing happened to me during the pandemic when we couldn't go to matches because like I'll go and I'll go to so many matches and sometimes I'll get very very little out of it. But you go there because it, there's two things. One is it's live sport, right? It's so much better than watching yeah, on yeah. TV. But there's also the social aspect of it. And the best thing for me yesterday was meeting you and meeting Carl and the people we were sitting with and Buzz and Nicola. Yeah, and 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, Nicola from Uppsala yeah. and her husband Joel and this kind of. Thing. And that to me is because if I go back to where I started, it was standard with my father on the sideline in St. Anne's Park. You know, it was watching Terry Everson playing for various different League of Ireland clubs because my father knew Terry's sister and this kind of thing, you know. And that's where it is because it's not just what happens on the pitch, it's what happens on the sideline in the stands as well, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So how will you fill that gap, that hole in your soul now for the winter? What are you going to do? Are you just going to shut yourself in there uh, now and wait for accessibility? It's an absolute, <laughs> it's an absolute shit show. <laughs> the winter is a shit show. Um, like Friday nights. Do you know what I used to do, Phil? Like on, the, on a Friday, say pre-pandemic when you're working in the office, yeah. instead of Friday going to League of Ireland, I'd actually go to the cinema. I'd finish work at three. Yeah. I'd actually go to the cinema on the Friday after work on my own. Um, a lot of the time so I might start that up again there you go um, just down to the cinema or whatever I don't have the attention span to watch movies I just after 10 minutes I go ah, this is a lot of shite and I have to leave it yeah no that doesn't surprise me you probably <laughs> want to start talking or something in the cinema I'm making a podcast in the middle of it you know <laughs> Graham I am delighted that this was such a positive experience for you coming to Stockholm and when the draw is made for the next conference league or the Europa League or who knows maybe even yeah. the Champions League I'm really really hoping that Shamrock Rovers get drawn against the Swedish club and we'll see you back over here but for now Graham Mero Merrigan, Shamrock Rovers legend. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much, Phil. There you go, the Rovers fans singing in support of their coach, Stephen Bradley, and... um, it's very unfortunate that Stephen is such a fantastic guy, but his son, Josh, has been diagnosed with leukaemia, and it was just one of those things that cast a little bit of a cloud over Rover season, but they're such fantastic fans, and Stephen is just a fantastic guy with a great family as well, that uh, he's been very much a part of their winning run in the League of Ireland, and he helped to uh, to raise the trophy there together with Pico Lopez when they won the league last weekend. And I'd just like to say to Stephen, to all the Rovers fans, that uh, I'm behind you, I'm sure the Irish and Sweden community is behind you, and behind Josh as he deals with this illness, and we hope for the best and if there's anything we can do here in Sweden because God knows there's plenty of people who've been over here for treatment for various different ailments and if there's anything we can do for you just let us know and you will find us there right now one of the people who didn't get a whole lot of abuse last night was the referee he was from Scotland and there's all sorts of people looking at a surname of Walsh and trying to work out if he was playing for the Ranger side or Celtic side so to speak we leave it at that but in a completely different sport in the sport of rugby referees tend to get an awful lot better treated so recently there I was thinking about this as the, the season was coming to its climax and Sweden were about to play Croatia and of course rugby is just growing and growing and growing in this country not like due in no small part to the efforts of the Irish community the likes of Donal up here who was with the Swedish Irish Society 
Uh, he's their coach and Carl Stein who you'll hear from in a few weeks is involved as well uh, Alan Mabon who's a great friend of the, of the Irish community here helped the Stockholm Gales to find pitches and that kind of thing you know so the sport of rugby is growing and growing and growing and uh, we heard from Dave Hanley who's been promoting it as well a few weeks ago but when I was talking about going to the Olympics that uh, Cormac O'Brien got in touch and said look I'm reffing down here now so do you want to have a chat about that and how we get involved because especially those of us who are a little bit older and who sort of can't play sports at that level anymore this is not me admitting any sort of retirement lads okay get that out of your head completely but uh, just to stay involved and to be part of a community of, of people doing things around sports so uh, I just spoke to Cormac about that and about the, the state of rugby in the country and that kind of thing and I really really enjoyed it and I hope you will too so here he is Brian, there's a lot where we want to get through with you down there in the West Coast today, right? But we'll start uh, probably with how you got to the West Coast. Did you? Were you one of the original sort of people who was studying down there and went to university down there? Well, kind of, uh, Philip. I, I I ended up in the University of Gothenburg working as a research assistant, and basically how that started was I, I studied in uh, in Dublin, studied in Trinity. I did um, computer science, German, and linguistics. And uh, as you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm actually, I'm from Dublin. And, you know, much like yourself, if you study in Dublin and you're from Dublin, you tend to live at home with the parents. So you miss out a bit on the, yeah, you miss out a bit on that kind of college life, the campus life. And I was always envious of my mates from down the country who, you know, had that experience. But then in the third year, uh, they had this thing called Erasmus. And it's a program, an EU program, and they send you to a, a university abroad. So I went to Germany, to Stuttgart for a year and got to live on campus and just loved it. You know, I, I lived like a ninja turtle for, for a year, basically. Did you go you know? mad, did you? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. lost the run of myself a bit. You know, something that maybe others did when they were 18 or 19. I did it a few years later. So I really, really enjoyed the experience. And then <clears throat> when I finished up my fourth year in uni, got my bachelor's, um, it was just before the dot-com crash, if you know what I mean, in 2001. So, I, you know, I wasn't in any mad hurry to get a job because there was loads of jobs out there. And I went to my my tutor at the time in, in Dublin and said, do you have any contacts in the German universities? Maybe I could get some summer work or something. Mm. And he said, listen, I, I know a guy in um, the D- data linguistic department, computer linguistics department in Gothenburg in Sweden. And I'd never been to Sweden. So I said, sure, why not? Give it a go. <laughs> and yeah. I'd never fucking heard of the place. I went, Asher, what could well, possibly that was the wrong? thing. Well, I knew nothing about Gothenburg at all. And I remember we landed in Ryanair used to fly to the small airport, Seva. Yep. So, and I remember landing there and it was just this tiny little airport with a hut and surrounded by trees. Because well. So I, I, I kind of thought, what am I getting myself into? Mm. But then the week before we moved, actually, the week before I moved, on the news, on RT News, there was big scenes from Gothenburg because there'd been that big riot. Do you remember there was like anti-capitalism riots or something, the, the G20 or something? Were yeah, there was some G12 or whatever it was. They had to yeah. there. The place so was when actually I, wrecked. When I got the taxi into the city, yeah, a lot of the windows were smashed up in the McDonald's and stuff. So, you know, it was a really weird experience when I first arrived. But then I, I was working in the university for... Um, it was supposed to be for the summer, uh, basically helping uh, this team working with machine translation and stuff like that. Mm. And then it, it was extended for a year because it was going well. And during that year, I met a woman, uh, unsurprisingly, and she became my wife. So we moved back to Dublin and we were, we were in Dublin for about six years. Mm. And then, uh, you know, she got pregnant 
and we kind of looked at our options then and it was just around oh just oh six oh seven you know the housing market was really really bad in ireland we couldn't mm. afford to buy anywhere uh so we said well sure why don't we move with the new baby to to sweden and see how that goes uh sent out a bunch of cvs and then uh, ended up with an IT company uh, called Jeppesen. It's like a subsidiary of Boeing. I worked for them for about 10 years. Mm. And then the last four or five years, I've been with Volvo Cars. So, yeah, that's how I ended up here. How did that work out now? Because I'm assuming that when you came to work in the research department, they know you're an Irish fella coming from Trinity yeah. via Stuttgart and that kind of thing. So they don't say, oh, well, you have to speak Swedish because you've never been here before. When you were coming back then with Jeppesen, did, did, did they say, look, you're going to have to learn the language, Cormac. You're going to have to get no. the program. It's the beauty with IT. In fact, I always say like <clears throat> there's two industries in Sweden where you don't really need Swedish and it's IT and construction. You know, you mm. can get a job in a building site or you, you can get a job writing code and you won't need the language. So it's a blessing and a curse for me because, uh, you know, I was working with I'm still am working primarily through English, uh, mm. although I do speak Swedish now. But, you know, working with Swedes and then hanging out at the rugby club with other non-Swedes and then you know the Irish pubs were so it took me quite a while to pick up the language because I wasn't speaking to a whole lot of Swedish people the way I should have been so um that was tough did, but did you do any sort of classes did you go to folk school and folk university at SFE any of that kind of thing no I didn't bother um I spoke German of course so and there's some similarities there so you could pick up words you know oh, I know what that means and yeah. it's kind of similar word order but I find like even when I would try you'd go into like a 7-eleven and you'd be like yeah. oh hey you will had in coca-cola and they'd straight yes sir that'll be 20 kroner you know they'd answer you straight away in English anyway so the it was kind of, yeah yeah <laughs> ah they, were, they meant well but sure well that's the thing like it's such a lovely team because they want to make you feel comfortable they want to practice their English and you're standing there going right I've been here for six years there for yeah yeah what I started to do actually because there's some great you know Swedish TV shows like Beck and Valander mm. and these and I, I started to watch them but then have the subtitles for the deaf on mm. so you could read the Swedish as well as they were talking about it so yeah. you, you, it made it a bit easier for me yeah I remember using the, the TV show Friends Vendor in Swedish and I remember doing exactly <laughs> the same thing I go, oh so that's what that means you know now, yeah, it, yeah yeah it, it wouldn't have been the best you know your man the Ross Simpsons, and Rachel the, the not the best another one. yeah exactly yeah the <laughs> tips is another one because you knew all the jokes already as well exactly You've seen yeah. things 10 times you know <laughs> um you're a big rugby fan what part of the dublin city are you from are you from a rugby family a rugby area not from a rugby family not well i'm from malahide don't know if it's a rugby area so although the, the club's doing really well there these days a fairly but, decent club there yeah yeah now basically what happened was i was always a big football fan philip uh loved i i was about 12 in italia 90 so that kind of you know it's a Rugby. perfect storm, wasn't it? Ah, oh, loved it. And been a Manchester City fan ever since because of Niall Quinn and Terry Phelan and Alan Kernahan and these lads. So, you know, it was, yeah, it was a, a roller coaster. But uh, I couldn't kick a ball straight. I was terrible at, at football. And then when I was about 12 or 13, one of the lads in my class mentioned that he was playing rugby. And I, I, I kind of, because I remember they used to have Sports Saturday in Ireland, remember? Mm. And they'd show an English match every weekend. And the one time they wouldn't do that was during the Six Nations where they'd show the rugby. And I used to hate that. I said, oh, I can't, but we're going to miss the PR Norwich or something. So, but then I kind of said, oh, maybe, maybe I'll be good at that. And I showed up and, uh, well, I wasn't that good, but uh, stuck with it and played then ever since. So really loved it. You, you could hold your own <clears throat> in the scrum or whatever you were doing there, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, as I, as I got older and started drinking, I moved further and further into the front row of the scrum and became a prop. And you know how it is. <laughs> started in the back row and then 
graduate yeah, there's a certain amount of beer kilos you need up front there because yeah, exactly you know, yeah. those sports. when you arrive there for the first time comic because rugby is one of those sports it's one of the only sports that i've never played apart from a bit of tip rugby myself i play everything else all sorts of weird martial arts the whole lot right rugby mm-hmm. and i love to watch it i only actually love to watch the national team i can give or take leinster if it's on there's nothing else on i'll watch it but the national team from my father just that just burns at me when i say and it drives me fucking bananas watching them as well the first time though you go in there because a Swedish friend described this to me as well he had no idea what was going on and he just fired him into a scrum and the next thing those fellas digging him in the side of the head and that kind of thing what was it like for you as a young fella who hadn't succeeded the way he wanted to, at soccer but all of a sudden found a place in rugby uh, well it was it was exactly like that I mean I, I think my first game was under 14s and I hadn't been at a training session I just showed up in Maine on a match day and they said yeah you can be a second row in you go and so I was just wandering around like yeah, what game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't hadn't a notion what I was doing. But uh it was, you know, it was just seen to be fun and it was kind of organized chaos. And then there was I remember like there was a few kids who really knew what they were doing. So you just kind of fell into line behind them and kind of mimicked it and all. So yeah. Uh, yeah, just basically like you know, throwing a dog into the water to learn how to swim. It was a bit yeah. like that. Unless your fucking dog happens to drown, but there you go. <laughs> Would you have had other young players now? Because it's a friend of mine, his son in, in, over in Galway, there's a really, really talented rugby player. And I'd say he's the sort of kid who could, like, if you're doing something, there's a second row, you don't know, he probably knows. Would other fellas help you then and say, look, you know, do this, do that, help me here, you know? Yeah, I mean, at that age, definitely, yeah, like, there was, there was kids, they were all trying to, even, like, I remember kids on the other team telling me, oh, you're doing that wrong, here's what you need to do. So it was, yeah, you know, yeah. it was that kind of atmosphere, which, which is great. And mm. I see that now at the underage rugby here in Sweden that the kids are very respectful of each other and help helping each other you know it's not about having to win especially the younger kids it's mm. you know just about having fun and making sure everyone enjoys it mm. it sounds like a remarkable conversion if you'll pardon the pun but it's something then that you sort of took <laughs> with on, you yeah. when you arrived over here in Gothenburg it's I think it's Spartacus rugby club that you were very involved in down there that's right and it was basically before I moved for the job in the uni uh the first thing I, I sent an email to the Swedish rugby I dug it out of uh on the internet and I said are there any rugby teams in Gothenburg and there's two as it happens there's Spartacus and there's Gothenburg rugby but Spartacus would only once it got back to me so I headed out there and uh, absolutely fell in love with the club I mean it's a great little club Um, been there almost they've been there 50 years and uh, you know have ups and downs as, as it were I was listening to your your talk with uh, Dave um, Hanley, Hanley wasn't it Dave Hanley yeah from Karlstad and kind of similar club to Karlstad in that regard you know mm. uh, sometimes can punch above its weight sometimes not so well but struggles um, for numbers or whatever yeah, yeah. but what, what what really got to me because playing in Dublin you know you might be going to Sutton or Clontarf or De La Salle Palmerstown might be the, a big trip you know you don't travel far but here you'd be three hours in a bus down to Lund or Malmo or mm. Trevor Ellabark, and then the way back was just so much crack. I mean, we, like we have so many, we'd have a load of slabs of beers in the in the bus and songs and all sorts, and everyone's yeah, it's just great crack. And you really feel for the way trips are the things I miss the most. I think we did we actually play a Gaelic football tournament on your pitch there, but I 10 think years you did, ago? yeah, because Paul Curley, uh, he's a neighbor of mine and actually a colleague as well. And I remember he was they were looking for a pitch at one stage and we were we were because I was dead keen. I thought it'd be great to have an international rules type match mm. with the rugby team and the GA team and, and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think you guys played uh, 
a tournament at, at Spartacus one time. It's, it was uh, a lovely we've... setup because you had a little clubhouse there by the pitch and that kind of thing. I think it, yeah. it, it poured down with rain that day, but there was a little bit of a tent set up and that kind of thing. And it was, it, it, like, we all came down there from Stockholm and we were a fairly new club at the time. We were looking at that going, Jesus, we'd love to be like these boys. And we'd no idea how to do it. Like, you know, but yeah. we're, you know. I think a lot of those, the rugby clubs, like, because they have liquor licenses. Like, we have mm. a liquor license, which is quite rare for sports clubs in Sweden yeah. because they try to separate it, the booze from the sport, which, which yeah, I yeah. But I think it was a bit easier to get these clubhouses and pitches in the 60s and 70s. And we've had and that's when since that then. Yeah. I think to, if, if we were starting today, I think we'd struggle. And I know there's a club in Hissingen, for, uh, Hissingen Rugby. They're yeah. mainly focusing on kids. Yeah. And they have a nice pitch and all. I think that's where the Gaelic is played nowadays. Actually, I think it is. Yeah, I think. But they don't have a they don't have a clubhouse, and I yeah. think it would be very difficult to get one. If you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah planning permission and money and what have you so well, that's the thing we're, we're forever talking about it i mean if there's one legacy we'd love to leave like the lads that started our club it would be that we had our own ground with our own yeah. post and our own little clubhouse there and making yeah. a sort of a center for the community but we've probably uh, a few miles left to go down that road <laughs> yeah you know? i mean it's brilliant if you come into our club the clubhouse they have you know jerseys up on the wall and yeah. pictures from old games and you know to walk down memory lane and it's it's really yeah. It's kind of cozy, you know what I mean? It's great. Who who was it set up that club comic? Was there any sort of Irish people there, you know, to welcome you with open arms as if you were Nick Popplewell coming in there? No, I think when I joined, I was the only Irish guy there. Um, there's a few since, uh, but it was it was uh, it was started in '68, and it was a guy by the name of Yaron Pearson, Yaron Olson rather, uh, who had come back from England, and he was uh, he'd played a bit of rugby in England, and he really wanted to set one up in particular in his neighbourhood. Yeah. And what he did was. There was a load of new apartments in the area and he would go around at night and he would look in the windows and if he could see someone who looked big or looked, you know, fat, he would, he would say, right, two stories up and three in. And then he'd go around and he'd knock on that door and say, do you, do you want to play rugby? And that's how he got a team together. So uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a club uh, legend, if you know what I mean. Do you know what? It's also extremely un-Swedish for somebody to go and yeah. knock on your door and say, come and play a bit of rugby. And then for people to actually not call the cops and go with them. <laughs> yeah. He must and have been some bio altogether, wasn't he? He was. His, his son then, I played with his son and his grandson has played as well for Spartacus. So there's that whole uh, lineage there, if you know what I mean. They're royalty. But Fantastic. there are there are more Irish now. Like um, my brother also lives in town. So he, he plays with the club. And there'd be, a, there'd be a few other lads. And we always, whenever we're out in the pub, we try to recruit players. You know, if we meet anyone, it's like, do you want to join? And I was actually, I was flying home there over Easter. And, you know, with the Ryanair flights, you kind of, as you're waiting to board, the people from the plane are, are deboarding or what you call it. So there was yeah, a queue yeah. at disembarking, the passport. Yeah. Disembarking, thank you. And uh, there was a lad uh, and he was in a, a tracksuit. It looked like a rugby tracksuit. So I just went up and I said, here, do you play rugby? And he said, oh, yeah. So I took his number. And told him about the club, and then he said, "Can I bring a friend?" And it was two two lads who were studying in Barros, and they'd played and won the senior cup at Black Rock the year before. Oh, <laughs> boys, get them in yeah, there! Yeah, yeah, they rocked up, and uh, <laughs> they played for three games before they had to go home. And I think we they won Spartacus won all three games based on these two lads, you know. So it's uh, you can get lucky sometimes. That's amazing. Do you remember a character called Brendan O'Driscoll? Did he ever play with you down there? Tall yeah, lad. I, I think he played yeah. with a fullback. I think he played with the other club in Frölunda, actually. But, oh, uh, did he? Did that's yeah, disgraceful. I think so. Uh, ah, sure. No, it's you need two clubs. It's like Batman and the Joker. You know, you need a, a bit of rivalry. Like that's the thing. You know, Brendan was up here studying. I think he might have done the Erasmus like yourself, and then he went down to Gothenburg for a year, and then he started a company which did, was eventually sold. They got, to Spotify. they got bought by Spotify. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, now Brendan, I think uh, 
took the, took the money and ran at that point, but rightly so. But he, <laughs> he played Gaelic football with us. But the right. rugby was where his heart was. Great lad altogether, lovely fellow. Yeah. No, I met play. him in a pub one day and I was like, oh, do you want to play rugby? And he's like, oh, I'm already playing for the other clubs. <laughs> so I missed out on that. There was a very funny incident. Actually, the time of the year we're talking here, we're talking just getting into the autumn now. And um, I used to live in Cheestown. Brendan got uh, an apartment in Cheestown, the north side of town here, you know, delighted with himself. And he came over and my wife was saying to him, now you have to get a winter jacket, right? So mm. one, one night, Brendan knocks on the door in the apartment. We're going to watch the Champions League or something. And he says to Maria, well, I got the winter jacket anyway, you know. And, and she opened, like, we opened the door and Maria says, oh, show it to me. And she just laughed at him because it's one of those really sort of thin, thin what looked like a winter jacket for, for, for me. or for you our standards, yeah. Fox <laughs> but no, no, she wasn't having it. But a lovely fellow altogether. <laughs> um, one of the things that, like, I mean, we wanted to talk to you about playing rugby and about being a Gothenburg and everything else like that. But you come at it from a little bit of a different side, right? Because without players, we don't have games. But you're doing something very, very important indeed as well because you're actually refereeing the sport of rugby here in Sweden did you have to do how did you sort of go hang on a second I think I'll start blowing the whistle for these lads yeah well it was kind of enforced uh, my knees gave up on me um, <laughs> I did both of my ACLs like oh, so I had sorry, operations of both. Ah, it, it happens I mean it's uh, you know you get you, you get used to it but um, so what I found was like I couldn't really in rugby when you're running, it's not just straight lines. You you know, you're, you're yeah, uh, pulled all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So couldn't do it. The knees couldn't take it, but I could still run in straight lines. So I figured maybe I can do a bit of the refing. and, you know, I watch a lot of rugby on the telly. So I thought mm. I knew the laws. So I thought I'd give it a go. And I reached out. There's a guy like they have a pretty good referee set up here in Sweden. There's a, it's a, a guy, a Welsh guy called Julian Bevan lives up in Stockholm and he's, he runs the whole thing. He's actually a world rugby educator. So, and he okay. goes away, like he traveled all over Europe and he refs international games and stuff. So mm. I think earlier this year, he was, I think he was linesman when uh, Spain played an all blacks 15, if you know what I mean. So okay. quite a big game. Like, And uh, <clears throat> you do this thing, it's called the level one uh, training. So it's basically your, your first step to be a ref. Mm. And when you've completed that, you can ref games and, so I just signed up for that and, and did the course. It was really, really good because you learn so much in that. And then you start to see a lot of refereeing. Okay, you need to know the rules, but you also need to be standing in the right place. You know what I mean? Mm. And very often I'd find like I'd be out in the field and then just get run over by some prop who's taking the ball off, a, mm. off the side of a rock and all. So a lot of it's about knowing where to stand and what specifically to be looking out for at different points on the pitch. And these are things you, you don't pick up unless you do that, that kind of training with somebody who really knows what they're talking about. So did the level one and that meant then you could referee in most levels in, Swe in Sweden, uh, couldn't do international. Then you do the level two for that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so just kind of, as I said, couldn't play anymore. Didn't really have the time for the coaching because I had young kids uh, yeah, so yeah. I st still do like, so, you know, couldn't put that amount of time in. And I said, what, well, what can I do? And the ref, the refing came up. So yeah. So I love it. it's sort of once a week on a Saturday or a Sunday, you go out, this you ref your game and you've done your bit for your sport then. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the only thing is like, it's a, it can be a lot of travel. So, because you might end up in Uppsala or down in Lugi or, you know, it could be three, yeah. four or five hours to get there and then get back. So yeah. it's uh there's that. And then, of course, you're not on a bus full of lads drinking beer. You're on your own. You know oh, what I mean? Geez. So yeah. it's kind of a little bit lonely in that regard. But uh, when you're yeah. there at the clubs, they really look after you. They give you a few beers after the game and they feed you. And, and you know, it, it's it's great. Like so, You always hear these things, Cormac, about, you know, what goes on in the scrum and everything else like that. As somebody who's been in the thick of it since mm. you were 14 years of age there, does that give you an extra advantage in terms of knowing, OK, here's a fella doing something, grabbing something he shouldn't be grabbing or pulling something he shouldn't be pulling? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a real, what do they call it? What do they say? Poacher turned gamekeeper. Cause I, I cheated all the time in scrums <laughs> and at the, at the bottom of rocks and I, and I, especially as I got older, you know, because you have to compensate cause you can't run as far. You're not as fit. So you cheat. And uh, so, yeah, you see that. I mean, I usually you can see, and you can kind of read, you know, if you've got this, uh, um, old lad who's you know smoking before the war during the warm-up and you're like yeah i better keep my eye on this lad because chances are he knows every trick he knows all the tricks yeah yeah yeah. so yeah (laughs) usually you you have a rough idea and then sometimes it's like something happens at the bottom of a rook and then you pull a load of bodies off and i've no idea what happened but i'm pretty sure it was that guy who did so i'm just going (laughs) to penalize him so you know that's harsh there in fairness it's, it's very <laughs> difficult like I mean we always think of the physical thing of grabbing something or twisting something or that kind of thing but I'd imagine there's a lot of fouling of the ball that goes on in those situations as well is there yeah yeah I mean if, if the ball's at the bottom of a rook people are gonna if they can get away with it they're gonna try and push it back or use their hands or, or what have you is, yeah. is that what you mean like or, yeah exactly yeah yeah ah yeah there's lots of that that goes on and you can kind of you can usually judge you know okay has that ball come out legally or or, or has somebody you know, slapped it or, or, or what have you. So it's kind of, you get it from experience and from when you used to play yourself. Like, um, Do you get a lot of abuse, Cormac? Uh, no, I have to say, no, I don't. I had some, you know, and uh, I've had to send, I mean, I sent a guy off there at the start of the season. Uh, he he told me in no uncertain terms what he thought about me and uh, mm. gave me the middle finger and, and, and everything. So, uh, but yeah, but like, in fact, like, so yeah, I had to send him off. I had no choice. But um, after the game, you know, everyone from that club came up and they were really apologetic and, you know, embarrassed. And all. So, you know, it was it was a one off as far as I could see. And people do lose the rag occasionally. And you hear a bit more on the sideline, you know, people. It's more about the decision. Oh, that was a tight decision or this, that yeah, and the other. And you, you got you to gotta live. You got to learn to live with that sometimes. Mm. But I mean. Sometimes you see it like I was at the 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 underage tournament, the Ungdoms SM. It was in Enshipping this year, and some of the parents and coaches get a bit more involved than they should for rugby at that age group. If you know what I mean. So it yeah. depends on the on the coach. But uh, to be honest with you, most of the players are are very respectful. Uh, you know, some of them will be mouths and they'll 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 have things to say all the time. But you can shut them down pretty quickly if you mm. just explain. Listen. I'm trying my best here, and you know I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. Yeah, yeah. That's the other the line I like. The other line I like to use is, you know, if they're giving out about me as a ref, I say, well, listen, you're playing rugby in Sweden. What do you expect? You know, if you want a good ref, you could go play for Leinster. You know, what I mean, this is the thing. Like, you know, I, I've had a referee say that to me as well. I I never said a word to a referee in any sport until I got here, and then I was sent off for something that you know you didn't it, like. Yeah. It wouldn't even be blown as a foul in the Phoenix Park back home. And I lost the reason altogether because I thought it was very unfair. And then that sort of provoked a period where I was having a go at a referee, no matter what the sport was, I was going to have a go. And then you realise that because now I qualify as a GAA referee as well. And you realise, hang on a second, people are doing their best. Now it's frustrating and that kind of thing. And I still say things on occasion, but most of the time now it's to do with just being consistent, you know, because sometimes you'll see fellas not applying the rules. But the soccer team here in Stockholm this year had a serious problem because they don't have lines people they don't have people running the line do you have mm. that in rugby do you just get somebody yeah, so from the club it depends on the level so uh where we can so the, this weekend it's finals weekend so there's finals at all the different levels and mm. we'll have lines uh men uh, or touch judges on, on yeah. the sides 
And what, what they want is there's a difference. You can have a, a live touch judge or a not live. And not live is basically where you just go to each team and hand them a flag and say, find somebody. And when the ball goes out, you put your flag up and stand where the ball went out. And that's yeah. it. But then the live touch judges can call foul play. So they have to have their level one referee training. Mm -hmm. And so they can. So what would happen is like if I'm running the line, it's and it's a hard skill to develop, actually, but you're not to follow the ball. Rather, you you kind of stay where the ball has just been. Because that's often where there's infraction, you know, a punch is thrown or a guy yeah, does yeah. something. So you kind of, and then if you see stuff and so in the finals this weekend, we'll be mic'd up as well. So we'll be talking, I can talk to the ref or, or the other linesman or what have you. So if you, if you see infractions, you just let them know, oh, that was offside, mate, or, you know, mm. watch out. That, I think that was a high tackle or, you know, mm. so yeah. Uh, and the other thing we can do then is control the sidelines. So if coaches are given the ref abuse, we'll go in and have a quiet word and say, listen, you know, can't shut the fuck up yeah <laughs> well, yeah yeah and you know the way you see football as well they have these technical areas like a box where yeah, yeah. guardiola is not allowed outside the box so i i usually say listen guys you can be outside the box all you like because you know i'm not i don't mind about that but if you start misbehaving we'll we'll put you back in there and then you know nobody <laughs> back wants in your that, box so back in your box exactly <laughs> is it a hard sport to referee comic because rugby and especially modern rugby now this may not be the case in sweden but certainly at the, the higher levels it's an extremely technical game and there's an awful lot of rules and this rule goes before that rule and you know an awful lot of it is down to timing and who has what and who's doing what and who just did what you know yeah is it i mean difficult to keep that, up with do you think yeah, yeah, you need to keep an eye on the laws. And it, uh, to be honest, what helps is just watching games. If You, you know, mm. the more games you watch on telly, you, and because the refs are all mic'd up, so you can hear what they're saying. And I think that's very useful. But, um, and the other thing that's very hard at our level is, you know, you see a lot of, like, uh, red cards these days for high tackles hitting that make contact with the head. Mm. I mean, it's very hard for us in real time to judge whether a guy's hit, you know, just below the, the neck or just above. So, yeah, you yeah. know, that can be tricky. But yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, you it is hard, but you, you know, you just, you make the call as you see it. And mm. you know, it, that's all you can do. You're only human. What I find is the longer the match goes on, the more tired I get and my decision making is affected because I'm knackered and I'm like, so what I usually do is uh, I talk my way through it. So I talk out loud about what I've just seen and the players think I'm explaining it to them, you know, oh, this mm. was, this was knocked on on this side and then they played on a bit and then they knocked, but in actual fact, I'm trying to explain it to myself so I can work out what the decision is, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I wondered as well, because, you know, if you go back to when you were 14, you started playing the game, you had people around you sort of coaching you and that kind of thing. Mm. Do you find yourself, because I, I absolutely love it in rugby. The only thing I ever want from a, a referee when I'm playing Gaelic football or soccer is an explanation, right? And at mm. my advanced age now, I kind of feel like they owe it to me. And I have a great relationship with some referees, and it sounds very arrogant, I know, but I yeah. have a great relationship with some soccer referees. One of them was actually in my house yesterday. He's an electrician. He was fixed a few bits and pieces. Never once sent me off, but I could always talk to him during a game and say, okay, his name is Saeed. I go, Saeed, what was that for? You know, why did yeah. you blow that against us, but you didn't blow, you know, for a similar thing at the other end of that kind of yeah. thing? You, yeah. know? you find yourself having to be almost a coach or a teacher on the field as well. Yeah, and it depends on the level. So, uh, like when I'm referring to the, the men's rugby, the senior rugby, you know, in theory, it's only the captain is allowed to talk to the ref. Yeah. But yeah. I always, I always say, listen, lads, anyone can have a word with me. I don't mind if you have a question, you can take it to me, and then I'll 
play it by ear. So if people start getting all snippy and I'll just say, listen, you have to go through your captain now because I've had enough. Yeah, I'm done with you. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But very people say, what was that for? And I'll explain it as I've seen it. You know, that was a high tackle, or mm. he came in from the side of a rook, and you know, or he didn't release his hands quickly enough before. So you think, you know, I'll explain my thought process because mm. if they don't know what what your decision is, they'll assume it's the wrong one. You know, what I mean? they'll they'll um they'll assume your bias or you know. And what do they say in the absence of in of in, in the absence of information they'll make stuff up you know yeah yeah That's the um, but then especially for the younger kids i sometimes i even stop the game just to explain a rule like you know mm. because the, if, if for at that level you're a coach as much as a referee mm. it's it's just about them enjoying the game mm. and playing it to the best of their ability and you know if you're blowing the whistle every two seconds because they're knocking the ball on or whatever. It, it, it just ruins the game. So. That, that was the next thing I was going to ask you, Carl, because I remember we had a game, uh, we had a couple of teams from Ludio and Helsinki, I think it was, and these were mostly, in Gaelic football now, these were mm. mostly girls who'd never played the game before, right? And an Irish player was given out to me and she was saying to me, look, th- this is a foul and this one fell the ball down, this is a technical foul. Well, mm. I know all that, right? But if I'm going to blow all these fouls, what well, we're going to have is a game of 60 free kicks in 15 fucking minutes and nobody's yeah. going to learn anything. So what I was trying to do was trying to get them to play the ball and you know, play on with it and then and there was also remarkably enough there was two Irish players on the field that day and they didn't know the rules either you know they yeah, yeah. Through some of the rules ladies Gaelic football is essentially a non-contact sport and they're mm, there that's right go, yeah yeah well you know if I have to explain that to you well then maybe you shouldn't be explaining the rules back to me it's, it's that difficult though because you will get people standing on the sidelines, you know, sort of pushing their glasses up the bridge of their nose and going, hang on a second there now, Cormac, that rule is actually slightly different. Yeah, and again, it's it's context dependent, you know, and like a word we use a lot at, at refereeing is materiality. So mm-hmm. what did it have a material effect on the game? So, you yeah. know, if it's a, if a guy's offside, but he's nowhere near the ball and he gets back onside, you know, you're not going to blow that up. Or, you know, sometimes if someone's ahead of the kicker and keeps running a little bit, but again, they're not going to get to the ball, sure, play on. It doesn't matter. Um, I was like, again at the huge tournament uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, I, I really regret it now, but like there was one team and they were getting fairly soundly beaten, you know, it was under 14s, under 12, something like that. And then they made a break and their kid, he, re- he ran for the corner and then a lad tackled him and he, he went to ground it and the ball fell out of his hand before he grounded it. And then he grabbed And one of the other teams, coaches was right there and he went knock on knock on and of course i called it because it was a knock on and i really regret that i was i should have just given them that try because it would have meant the world to them and you course, know yeah. you know it didn't matter to that coach but so i actually had a word with him later so listen i don't need your help let, let me make my calls but yeah, yeah so exactly. yeah you, you know and it's context dependent you you can't you know you have to have a, a safe game that that's important so if yeah. it's safety if it's a high tackle or something you have to stop it but you know if it's sli- if the pass might be slightly forward and it doesn't really matter then you know we play on especially at the younger age it is that it's one of those things that but you know even speaking to marco sullivan from cork about soccer and coaching in general and dave and yourself we tend to lose sight of the fact that a we're often dealing with kids sometimes we're dealing with people who don't know the rules this is for fun, right? We're not, none of us is going to the World Cup anytime soon in no. fucking any sport, you know? Yeah. So that has to be the thing. But the point that you make about keeping kids safe is probably the most important one. That as long as, you know, the, the environment is safe for them and they can play the sport without risk of injury yeah. and that, you know? Exactly. Um, it's, especially at scrum time, you know, that can be really, you know, scrums can be dangerous if, if they're not yeah. done right. So you need to do that, correct? But just with your point about it, you know, it's not that important. Like, at the at the Young Dums SM, there was an under tens game, and their coaches were were shouting at the ref to such an 
to such a, an extent that she actually had to walk off and gather herself. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, these are 10 year old kids. It's what kind yeah. of an example are we setting? It's, it's, yeah. Well, you see well, that occasionally. Well, I remember seeing the games. They couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old playing soccer a few years ago when my daughters were playing. And um, at, the, at the corners, the other girls would grab my girls or our girls by the arm. I thought, that's for fuck's sake. If winning is that important to you, that you're going to start fouling people <laughs> in this kind of thing. And, yeah. You know, I would have, what I should have done, now I lost my temper, which I shouldn't have done in front of the kids. Like, you know, but I should have just gone to the referee and go, blow a few penalties there because they're not allowed to grab anybody, you know? Mm. And that might sort of put a stop to it. But the other two eejits who are coaches, like, lads, it's not the champion. You're not Jose Mourinho or whatever you think yeah. you are, you know. How's life down there now? Because a few years ago, you joined uh, Paul Curley and a few of the other uh, Irish expats there at Volvo. Uh, a bit, bit of a bigger company. Is there much difference to what you're doing in your working life now compared to when you moved over here? Um, I mean, yeah, Volvo, like you say, it's a massive company and uh, you have with that comes all the uh, a lot of... Um, bureaucracy and the like which can be fun but uh we're on the software side we're down in lindholm and kind of we're not actually in torsland where they're building the cars so yeah. we're down kind of lindholm and it's down by the river it's kind of like the almost like the silicon valley of gothenburg a lot of the it companies are down here so it's yeah. it's great fun i i actually I, I i live in lundby so i can walk to work each morning actually i live on the same street as paul curley there's um there's about four or five Irish families on our in our little area. So was that the like, Liberal comic? Did you know no, everybody lived there? No, I don't know. Maybe it's the only houses we can afford, Phil. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but like my daughter, my youngest daughter, Tara, she goes to there's a Cormac in her class. So I got I go to parent teacher meetings and the teacher thinks Cormac is the most normal name in the world, you know, because she, she yeah, she's it's like Sven for Swedes kind of thing. Yeah. And then Paul Curley is there and uh, Thomas Chamney, do you know him? He lives up the road as well. I don't know Thomas all that well. I know all he would have been in some groups or that, you know. He would have ran uh for Ireland in the Beijing Olympics. I think he that's who it is. Yeah. yeah. So he's up the road and then there's Damon Barris near me as well. So and Gray Hawthorne. I don't know if you know Gray, he's a troubadour. He might be up there. All oh, right, yeah, I haven't time. actually seen him over, over in Stockholm a long time. There's, mm-hmm. another man there's a whole bunch of people we should have. Yeah, yeah, so like a little old. Irish community where I live, so that's great, yeah. crack. And uh, as I say, I can walk to work like half an hour, so it's really nice. And are you allowed to divulge the secrets of the kind of things that you're working on now? Because one of the things I've noticed, especially with cars and vehicles and that, is a lot of them are becoming very software dependent. And not only yeah. that, but you're kind of expected to pay, you know, for these things on an almost monthly basis now if you're going to have your Android and Apple Play and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, some some we are some of them are moving towards a subscription model, all right. But uh, we're we're I mean, no, I can talk. But we're making the 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 app. So we we work with the remote control parts of the app. So you know, mm-hmm. from your phone, you can unlock the doors of the car or turn on the the heating. So you know, or even set a timer. So every morning at seven, that the heat will turn on. So when you get out at quarter past seven, it's nice and warm, and you can drive off to work. Things like that. Lovely. So um, yeah, we're it's uh we're we're about gosh we're about. 150 people here in, in our department working on that. So it's a wow. big it operation. Be, yeah, it seems to be quite diverse. Like, I mean, if I look at your social media, there seems to be people there from uh, the Asian subcontinent, from India, Pakistan, and that kind yep. of thing. So uh, presumably you're still working in English after all these years there. Yeah? I am, by and large. Um, sometimes at the, like, if I'm in a meeting and I'm the only non-Swedish speaker, then I'll say, look, we'll do this in, in Swedish. And mm. if, I, if I struggle, then I can just... just resort to English but uh, other than that yeah it's almost entirely in English here so uh, but that's that's good because you know it's really competitive to hire uh, software developers at the moment so you know we, we need to bring people in from abroad and mm-hmm. if we tell them oh you can come here and have a job but you need to learn Swedish it's 
it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah, nobody, nobody's in a hurry to do that. And it no. to me, look, you're living in the Silicon Valley, if you like, or close to the Silicon Valley down in Gothenburg. I'm the same myself. She stands Stockholm as a reputation as yes, that yes. kind of place. And you do notice the number of people who are coming here from, from Asia. You know, people are mm-hmm. coming from India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, and places like that who are, you look at them, you go, okay, they must be programmers who are working for one of the big telcos or something around yeah. here. Has that sort of changed, you know, the restaurants where you are? Has it changed the way things are? I know Diwali is celebrated by a lot of people. I think there was a recent holiday there where I saw some of your colleagues. You put up a lovely photograph of them. Yeah. They're dressed yeah. up for the day, you know. Does, does that change the, the area where you are? I don't know that it's changed it, uh, significantly yet because I think it has, you know, it's not It's not that long ago it started this, the 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 a lot of Indian people coming to work in IT, but there are quite a few Indian stores down in uh, in uh, backup plan part of Hissingen, mm. for example. Yeah. And uh, some of them are great because I don't know who they are, but, they, but one of the shops, I think they must have lived in the UK because they have a, a like a, a shelf of, you know, uh, HP sauce and Bramston pickle and all this kind of stuff. So I go in there myself sometimes, pick up some some kind of English stuff that I that I like. But uh, no, you see it a lot more now because I'm in a, in a kind of a housing estate and you see more and more young Indian families with, with, with kids. And the kids all speak English, which is interesting. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're planning to stay long term, but they, they send a, lot, a lot of them get sent to the English uh, schools, for example. Yeah. I suppose if you're going to have an international career as well, you know, you may as well put them through school in English because if you go to Paris or if you go to Los Angeles or whatever, you, yeah. you're going to find a school there for them as well. Yeah. Then, you know? Well, I tell you, like companies like Volvo and a lot of the IT companies and even, you know, Spotify who are down here and others mm. would, would really struggle if, if were it not for the amount of uh, of Indian IT workers that have moved here. So it's, you know, it's great in that regard. Are there any rugby players among them? Because unfortunately, no, cricket not is much bigger there. No. Crick, yeah, I mean, I hate to, I hate to uh, pigeonhole, but yeah, there's a lot of cricket. And, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be a massive cricket fan, but I like and watch it and I know a bit about it. And Ireland, uh, they they play in Malahide. They play their test games in Malahide exactly, these days. Yeah. So I, I have that kind of, I can I can hold a conversation. The World Cup is starting in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. we're going to stream some of the games on the tellies here in, in, in work on the big screen. It'll be hard enough to get people to work now during uh, some of those one day games, won't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. They're, they're pretty long though. So I'm sure there's, there'll be gaps where they can write a few lines of code. Oh, geez. It was one of the greatest days of my life was being on the Reuters sports desk in London. And I'm there like one day a year. And it happened to be the day that Ireland beat England in the World Cup. And cricket oh my <laughs> yeah. god it was fantastic <laughs> what's what's the future look like for you Cormac because you've obviously you're, you're very content where you're living there you have a nice mm. Irish community around you would you like would you ever see yourself wanting to do sort of you know underage international rugby or are you content with with what you've got there no no I I, I like the 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 reffing as it is and I mean I mean, I'm 43, so I don't know how many more oh, years I'll be able to ref but uh, there are some really good young refs coming through mm. and I think you know I, I I could have the opportunity. I mean, I've I've refed like the Swedish underage sevens camp. I went there and, and refed their kind of probables v possibles type games and stuff like that. And I mean, yeah, I'd lo- I'd love to ref a Sweden Denmark match or something like that. But to be honest with you, I think the younger refs would probably get more benefit out of that. So I'd mm-hmm. probably step aside and let them do it because you know they're the ones that are going to be reffing for the next 20 years and yeah. really we're, making we're, we're kind of over the top of the hill a little bit on yeah that. a little bit so i'm just happy to be involved and uh, if i can get a pint at the end of it all i'll be i'll be a happy man you know well but my kid you... I, my, my big yeah. my big plan plan i have a 15 year old daughter who's a massive handball uh fan like she yeah, plays yeah. handball she trains she trains more than i trained playing senior rugby she's like three four days a week she trains and, right. and matches that's insane but uh 
we're kind of hoping when she hits 18 that, you know, if Ireland have a women's team at that stage, that she could play a bit of handball for Ireland. And then uh, she plays a bit of rugby. So we kind of wanted to play rugby for Sweden and handball for Ireland. So that's yeah. that's the plan. Brilliant. Wasn't there a, a guy from Gothenburg who, who kept goal for Ireland in the handball? Pontus Chris O'Reilly. Chris oh, O'Reilly. Chris O'Reilly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So, right. is, he, is he still knocking around down there? Is he? I haven't seen him lately, but I assume so. Yeah. Because he's involved with the Fringe Festival in Gothenburg, I think. And he that's plays, right, yeah. I think he plays for a club. A handball club that are called Celtic, believe it or not. But uh, I, I don't think they have any Irish connection. They just happen to be called Celtic. But uh, yeah. he's a lovely lad. And he's given my daughter some advice in the past. And uh, I think he commentates on international games for yeah. sporters. Because it's a huge sport here in Sweden. And it's one of those things that like, you know, we're almost entirely oblivious to. And I know I, in the past they've contacted me. The Irish Handball Association have contacted me and said, look, have you got players? Send them over mm. to us. And every now and again, yeah. I go out on social media. So we'll throw your young one in the, into the mix there. For yeah, the well, we went, we were over in Dublin last summer and we reached out to Dublin City Handball. And mm. uh, so she went and trained with them in Fairview Park. And mm. uh, she was 14 and they were adults. But she was well able to handle herself. Did she so, wiped the floor uh, with them, she did. Well, I don't know about that now. I think if she was to listen to this, she wouldn't be too happy saying that. But she was well able to handle herself, like so. Just we decided we're coming out there. Yeah. That little bit of humility, yeah, exactly. That maybe yeah, you and I might but, lack, you know. But I but look at handball. I look at handball on the telly, and all I can think is, what a waste of rugby talent that is. You know, these oh, guys no, should be. You know, they're like second row forwards who move like fullbacks. I mean, this is insane. the thing. I mean, we, we've been looking at a comic to be honest, and this is maybe something that you and rugby need to be looking at as well, right? There's so many people who play that sport in this country, hundreds of thousands yeah, have joined the winter yeah. and they've nothing during the summer. And mm. we need to get them playing Gaelic football and rugby because they, like, they're the kind yeah. of people who do like physical contact. Back in the day in Copenhagen, uh, they had a ladies GEA team that was pretty much made up of handball players who wanted something to do for the summer. Yeah. And it's something that we definitely have to look at exactly. recruiting these people and getting them in there, you know? They, they'll never drop a ball. I mean, we, we've had a few come and you do the ball drills, you know, the passing drills. Yeah. And usually when you have a new person, you expect there's going to be lots of knock-ons. And Not with a handball player. They, they know how to catch a ball and how to pass it on. So it's incredible. Well, do you know what? It sounds like rugby and handball and soccer and everything else in the entire <laughs> Irish community are in safe hands down there in Gothenburg. I'll be hitting you up after this now for a whole bunch of numbers for people to talk to. But for now, Cormac O'Brien, thanks so much for talking to me. Cheers, Philip. Lovely to talk to you again. Take care. Surtout pas être pris hors jeu, pas hors jeu, pas hors jeu. Tant pis, on s'est du terrain, mais pas hors jeu. Attention, le drop, il arrive. Le drop de Jonathan Sexton. Oh, il s'en fout tant qu'il passe. C'est terrible. Terrible. Il est là. Jonathan Sexton à la dernière seconde. That just never gets old, does it? Jonathan Sexton, and lads, I have to say it, the French commentary is so much better than anything I heard from RTE or the BBC or anything. It's like, you're man going, terrible, terrible. Oh, Jesus, I'll tell you, not if you're watching from an Irish perspective, that was magnificent. Uh, Jonathan Sexton scoring with a drop goal from about 45 metres out uh, to beat France in France. It was just wild altogether, fantastic stuff altogether. And we hope that uh, the best of Swedish rugby, the best memories of Swedish rugby, are still ahead of them and she, you never know you might get a couple of O'Connors and Murphys and Buckleys and O'Briens playing in that team because they're so active uh, in the sport great to talk to Cormac there about uh, behind the scenes there about what's happening in rugby in the country at the moment and we'll try to get out maybe to a few games next year the season is over now I actually got a message from somebody who shall remain nameless uh, who played in the SM final right so the Swedish Championship final 
which I think was between Spartacus and, uh, oh God, I can't even remember, I better not say that now, but uh, somebody was saying about the referees and that kind of thing, that there was a last minute penalty there that probably shouldn't have been given, So, uh, but that actually happened after I spoke to Cormac, so we can't bring it up with him. Thanks very much for listening this week. If you haven't noticed yet, you probably should have, but I'm doing another po- podcast called The Global Gale. Check that out. Feel free to share it with people around the world. Feel free to go to, go to patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm and become a monthly subscriber. The swish number is going to be in the show notes again because I can't find it right now and I have to get this done before I go home and a huge thanks as always to Martin Hessian and to Veerstrom's Pub both great supporters of rugby of rugby fans of rugby teams and indeed of the Irish in Sweden podcast we've gone on a very long time this week but Jesus I think it was worth it anyway certainly from a sporting perspective I hope you've enjoyed it until next week my friends look after yourselves look after one another and I'll see us again very very soon indeed good luck (laughs) 